If you're like me, you might hear estate planning and go, ugh, gross. You might think to yourself, I'm not sure why I'd bother with that. Estate planning is only for the uber rich. Tallgrass begs to differ. Tallgrass founding attorneys Laurel and Riley think everyone should have an estate plan. They know estate planning seems untouchable to a lot of folks, like something you have to do inside a stuffy law firm of Stuffy McLawyer Pants Esquire. But I promise you, Tallgrass is nothing like that. For one, they work out of their home so their clients can feel at home. They obsess, because they're nerds, over making clients feel like they belong and are supposed to be there. Also, their kids might make an appearance. They will take time to answer all of your questions, even the uncomfortable ones. They will work relentlessly to make sure your plan's exactly what you need to feel secure and at peace. So if you've been putting off planning for what's going to happen after you've gone, it's time for you to give Tallgrass a call at 918-770-8940 and start your plan today. Or visit their website at tallgrassestateplanning.com and schedule a free initial consultation. For free! It's right there on the website. And of course, there's more, because this is a podcast ad. If you tell them you're a Pot for Good listener, they're going to take 25% off their service fees. Just tell them Pot for Good sent you. Stop thinking estate planning isn't for you and give Tallgrass a call today at 918-770-8940 or on their website, which I'm not going to read out to you again. It's in our show notes. Thank you, Tallgrass. Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast where we learn from those doing good in Tulsa, why they care, what we can do, and most importantly, what you can do. Pod for Good is produced and edited by Ran Productions and can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. If you enjoy what we do here, please make sure to subscribe and share this episode on social media. I am, as always, one of two of the Class Clowns for Justice, that is Pod for Good, your chief philanthropod, Jesse Ulrich. And I'm your vice admiral philanthropod, Chris Miller. And today, our guest is Rachel Reagan, program director of Kitchen 66. We talked to Rachel about Kitchen 66, her journey with food and history, and Manila Ice Ice Baby. Enjoy. We are very excited to have Rachel Reagan, program director of Kitchen 66, hey, on the know. podcast today. Rachel, hi. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. This is my first podcast. I'm really excited. We love having first-time podcast pe- uh, people on because then they don't realize how terrible we are at this. So No, we're really, really good. Everyone yeah. else is terrible. Yes. That's why I will walk out We're of not this the ones who are wrong. With, yeah. yes. <laughs> it's everybody else who is wrong. It's everybody else. Yes, yes. So you are the program director of Kitchen 66. I am, yes. For all of those who maybe are not familiar with the Kitchen 66 program, can you give us like the quick summary? Sure, absolutely. So Kitchen 66 is a shared use incubator kitchen that helps lower barriers specifically for food entrepreneurs. So we really do that um, in three major ways. The first is through rentable, affordable commercial kitchen space that's located inside Mother Road Market. It's about a 3,000 square foot facility that we're pretty proud of. The second is through sales support. So again, in Mother Road Market, There are channels where entrepreneurs can get some sales experience, get some brand awareness. And then we also have educational programs that we offer as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but before the Mother Road Market was built, Kitchen 66, did it have another spot? 
Yes, I did. So okay. we were downtown in the Sun Building. And actually, my first week with Kitchen 66, many, many moons ago, it was the week that we moved out of the Sun Building into <laughs> our new spot. So it was like an old like 1950s cafeteria at the first level of the Sun Building. Yeah, incredible details, but limitations, mm. but still pretty cool. So yes, that's where we were before moving into 11th and Lewis at Mother Road Market. So a, a lot of people will start try to start uh, food businesses as mm -hmm. home businesses. Yep. So why is it so important to have this commercial kitchen space available for people who are trying to start a business? That's a great question and actually a really important one because the home baking laws just changed really dramatically in Oklahoma. They raised the cap we have, a lot. We have, we have home baking laws? We yeah. do. What? Yes. Well, actually, now it's called the Food Freedom Act. Hmm. Yep, write that down. Okay. Like, it feels like normally when a law I, has freedom, freedom it's, it's not it's good. Not it's not good. good. In conversations in the office about this, someone legitimately asked, like, was food not free? Did we <laughs> yeah. have a problem of yeah. food not being free? The so, fa the fa Act. Yeah. yeah. So under this new Food Freedom Act, what you can make at home, a lot of the rules have loosened up, and the amount of money that you can make from at home has increased a lot. So there used to be a cap of about $25,000 yearly that you could make from home. They've raised that to $75,000 annually. Okay. Right. It, yeah. They also used to have kind of weird rules about cut fruit and fresh fruit not being allowed in or not being able to produce very specific kinds of products. Basically, you were allowed to make like bread and maybe some pies that were made from canned anything. Now, but not, fre but not fresh fruit? No, not fresh fruit. Right? God, why are state laws so weird? Like, I know Oklahoma's not the only state that has weird laws, but why, why are these laws so weird? Anyway. I know. I don't know. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it was the, the canned fruit lobby. Yeah. Didn't want those fresh fruit <laughs> Honestly, coming in the big canned fruit. Yeah. 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 Going to go ahead. Yep. I shouldn't call them out. I shouldn't call out a specific <laughs> company that does one canned thing, right? Like, poor is like we have one we have one time to shine and it's a month yeah. please leave us alone um we always have it at home though it's good for dogs if they're either oh yeah they have indigestion problems pumpkin is great good yeah for, for an upset tummy and a dog mm -hmm. yeah so keep oh, that in at least it's good for something so. <laughs> it is <laughs> So all these all these rules have changed, which is really incredible. It's it's actually great. We we love that they've changed because it means that people can really look to having a food business as a really reliable and substantial additional form of income without a lot of barriers in that at that stage. But the commercial kitchen becomes important if you want to do anything that's outside of those realms. So really making anything maybe that you're fermenting or that needs to be canned or that's undergoing any other kind of increased food safety protocol process like that. And then also once you read a, reach a certain stage, if you're a packaged good, you know, if you're trying to get into a grocery store, it's, it's, it's just an extra level of security kind of extra insurance, if you will, for um, the packaged product goods that are trying to get into stores. And then for a caterer, you know, it is an, kind of an extra level of, of validation, too, to have that commercial kitchen. And plus, if, if it's really successful, you're completely eliminating your home kitchen for your personal use. So we get a lot of folks that are like, my family 
will start to riot if I continue <laughs> to make things in my home. And I would like another location, please, to run my business. So that's where we see a lot of people come to us for the commercial kitchen space. So why is it important for them to come to you versus building out their own kitchen or building sure. a restaurant or anything else? Right. The build out for those spaces can be astronomically high. And what we really worry about is people spending all of that money without really testing their product and making sure that there is a place in the market for it. And just just kind of a steady stepping stone kind of approach to the food business. So our stations run out on an average of $12 an hour. So all of that, you're only spending money for the time that you're actually using the facility rather than going and spending $20,000 on a new kitchen. You only have like one account maybe, or you do a couple events a year. So you're spending that much money and that much insurance and that much, you know, expensive just to keep the building up and maybe not having the opportunities to make that money back quite yet. So how many people slash, you know, groups are currently like rotating in out of the Kitchen 66 space. So right now we have about 40 companies that hold a license with the health department at our address at inside Kitchen 66. So not counting, you know, the merchants at Mother Road Market who obviously hold a license as well. And and usually since the time I've been here since 2018, we've always had between 40 and 50 active license holders in the kitchen. So have you ever had anyone who say likes to go overboard with, for family <laughs> dinners or parties, it's use gross. the space, or is it purely <laughs> for commercial use? Uh, right now, just because of, you know, health department regulation, um, we can really only be for commercial use. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for that noise. So you're asking about other folks using the kitchen besides yeah. businesses and stuff. So while it's hard to do like a one-off personal use, we do have some non-businesses that use the kitchen. As long as they're not selling to the public, the health department is okay with. So we actually have a chemistry of cooking class that's taught at TU that runs their labs Mm. out of Kitchen 66. And they've been doing that for a few years. Yeah, it is really fun. And then we've also had, um, we've had a, a tribe come in and take some some crops and some pumpkin that they had left over from the fall um, and can it and process it in a way that preserves it. Since they're distributing that within just members of the tribe and not selling it to the public, that's allowed in the kitchen too. Before this, sure. were, you, were you into this or were you just doing other things and became attached to this? That's a great question. So I was not into this at all. I, I loved the idea of it. I say, I say that in that manner because I was so not in any kind of food business arena. So I'm a Tulsa native. I boomeranged and came back. I actually went to school for history. Me too. And whoop whoop. Yeah. Couple do you use it? History yeah. major boomerangers over yeah. here. Yeah, I do not use it. It's just an expensive hobby. So yeah. Oh, you went to Brandeis. I did. Nice. Yeah. OU and then Brandeis. So fantastic. Yeah. And then also uh, boomerang. But we're, we're two boomerang history people not using history in our job, sort of. Yeah. So, absolutely. I mean, history is everywhere. Anyway, I'm like, history is in us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's everywhere. So I went to the University of Arkansas for history and I did my like senior topic on a food history topic, really talking about food and national identity. Mm. And I was like, okay, 
history gets a bad rap. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tie food and history together and it's going to be like a schoolhouse rock moment. And this is going to be great. And my advisor at the time was like, okay, like, so you're thinking about getting this PhD, making this your life, go do, find a master's program in between getting your doctorate to look at food in an academic light, because I don't know anybody that's doing that. So, so take care of that first. And I was like, okay. So then I uh, got into a master's program of gastronomy, very fun word at Boston university. So yeah, very similar boomerangs. Um, You went, you went to the more expensive one. So yeah, yes, I did. So I went to BU and started school and found a lot of people that were doing really incredible things in food that wasn't necessarily working in a restaurant, which was never my end goal. That also didn't require like seven more years of school and thousands more dollars. So (laughs) I started working in food tourism there. I worked for a food tour startup. So it was my job to research different restaurants in different neighborhoods of Boston and design tours for her, which was really incredible. I also got really involved in food education. One quick question. Yeah. Research. Does that just mean going around and trying different places and and asking them questions about the food? I mean, it doesn't just. (laughs) It is a critical part of the process. I mean, I'm just saying that sounds a little bit like my dream job. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So uh, um, was your was your North End tour just like trying every all the Italian restaurants? Take the cannoli, everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So actually, at the time, we weren't in really touristy parts of Boston. Mm. So for you listeners at home, the North end is very Italian, very old Boston. We were doing the South end or the South end of Boston, mm. not Southie, but the different South, area. Yeah. Very yeah. different area, but the South end that actually has a very interesting history and has been kind of the place of a lot of specifically like race relation issues in Boston where they've played out. So we were doing a lot of more research in parts of Boston like that. But a lot of it too, you know, it was a food tour, but we talked about other elements of Boston's history. So buildings we went by that held specific importance to the neighborhood. So there was research on the computer as well as me going in and saying, I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to eat every one Mm. of these things on your menu just to, it's my job. There was an element of that too. The, the, so it sounds like half of my dream. <laughs> yeah. Listen, yeah. Maybe have Jesse. It'd yeah. be like if yeah, Jesse honestly, and I yeah. were together. Yeah. Or yeah. Something. The two of you guys together. <laughs> yeah. That could be. We, one, be we could be one tour guide. We could. Yeah. Listen, we'd be a great single tour guide. <laughs> yeah. 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 We are one tour guide. Yeah. Yeah. Do a little uh, Rosencrantz Guildenstern thing. And just yeah, oh my go, God. Like, oh my God. We've been doing that our entire lives. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, <gasps> Jesus. Um, like we're not even original in the thing we do in our bits. Um, so I, I, I really come from more of that world and then food education. So I taught, um, a program called cooking up culture, which took kids in Boston and exposed them to different cultures through cuisine, which was incredible. Also was the TA for a while for, a um, for a food and science course. So, you know, what happens when you don't bake with gluten and, you know, all of the science around all of that. But then my dad got sick, and so I I made the decision to move back. And I I moved back here and thought, okay, what am I going to do <laughs> with this degree and with this experience? So I actually applied for the business training class that I now run Wow! when I moved back. And I got an interview, and I told 
um, the woman who ended up hiring me, I said, I don't have an idea for a food business, but I just moved here. Like it probably felt like the worst, like weird setup for something because <laughs> I was like, I'm new in town and I don't know anybody. And here I am. I d- but I did. I said, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with this degree. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It sounds like what is happening in this program and in this foundation is really cool. So if you ever just need anyone to just volunteer time or just to just do anything on the side, I'm I'm here. And so I after that, I did get a job cooking. I started a cooking after school program at Riverfield, which is in West Tulsa uh, for their preschool. Oh, yeah. That's where all my good stories come from is three <laughs> to five year olds just trying to cook. Cooking. Oh, they they cook. Like, can for they eat, sure. Like, did you have to have a kitchen that was like lower so they could like see we things? We stood on step stools, okay. which is okay. someone who's only an inch taller than Danny DeVito. I really that speaks to my life. So that's what we did. But yeah, honestly, they were so enthusiastic to do anything and everything. So it was, it was incredible. A lot of cracking eggs on the stomach though. I don't know how that made it into. They all have like six packs? Like how they work? <laughs> I don't, they, wow. they would jut out their stomachs and just okay. crack it mm. on like that. So it was fun. But even, um, even I like in my craziest, I'm like, that doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah. Like that's been real messy. Right? Anyway. Yeah. But. but yeah. But after, after a year of that, I, I really loved my time there, but I got, they came up, not came up, but a position opened at kitchen 66 really with the expansion of programming and mother road market. And I applied just thinking that it would be a, a good challenge. I'd never really been in the food business space before and I got it. And here I am. That was May, 2018. Wow. Yep. Wait, so when did you, when were you in Boston? I was in Boston from 2014 and then I moved home in summer, 2017. That's also when we moved back. So I was, I was there from 2005 to, to, to August of August of 2017 is when we moved back. So. Oh, wow. You were up there for a very long time. Yes. You saw, you saw many a Patriots Super Bowl win. Uh, a win and losses, which yeah. I enjoyed in my case with my little yeah. Giants uh, gnome that my family bought me. Oh, there you me. go. Yeah. yeah. That's the only sports team that I didn't convert to when I moved. Not the only one, but I, I. Became a Red Sox fan. It's, kind of, it's, it's, it's almost impossible. Fan, yeah, it's impossible not to become a Red Sox fan when you're up there. I know, because Fenway's just so magical. Yeah, it's and it's just in the middle of the city, and it affects yes. the mood. It affects everything. Yes. So, and like, I don't know. But yeah, the Patriots, like, uh, it did not turn me. I was already anti-Patriots. It did not make me any less anti-Patriots. <laughs> no. But uh, I was... I'm, I'm sad I never got to see a playoff hockey game because I heard those were nuts. But Yeah, I never saw a playoff hockey game either. I, I did go to one hockey game, though. It was. It might have been the most expensive ticket I bought of a professional sports team wow. in Boston. Well, because the Patriots game I went to was the last home game of the season, mm. and that's an outdoor stadium, and it was December, and it was like yep. maybe fourteen degrees outside. Yep. 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 Thank you. No, I mean I can't remember how much I paid for my um, ticket to go see the Colts play the Patriots, but I was in the very last row, like with the lights were above above me, so they weren't even shining on me to keep me warm, and that, that was in early November, and it was. So cold. Yeah, it's chilly. Anyway, so I'll probably cut most of that out. But uh. (laughs) (laughs) so I think one of the things that really surprised me about the entrepreneur's journey in the food business space uh, was really the mental toll and kind of the the mental aspect of starting your own business and how it has to shift. So 
we see a lot of entrepreneurs and we kind of prepare them for this, like all hands on deck. And I think I foolishly maybe came into this position thinking these are folks that are all hands on deck all the time. And it's just laying their life out every day for their business, which is a hundred percent it. But then at a certain point that that's not sustainable, right? There's Mm -hmm. so much discipline that has to happen within an entrepreneur where they do make time for their family and they do make time for their own well-being. And so that, seeing that and reinforcing that almost seems counterintuitive, but it's, it's so important. And especially, I mean, with COVID, it, it just got taken to a whole other level when we were dealing with that and still, still dealing with it. Our listeners won't know that Chris was just staring at me the entire time you were answering that question because those are all things I do as an entrepreneur, which I'm bad at, which is, you know, taking time off and taking care of my mental health and whatnot. As you know, podcasts are a visual medium. That's right. Yes. Able to see me staring. Yeah. Right. One day we'll get a camera, but it'll only point at us and not our guest. (laughs) And not the guest. Yeah. Perfect. So the COVID and the pandemic, pandemic and the lockdown, I think of all industries it affected, it, it affected food and food production, I think. One of the most, maybe not mm-hmm. the top, but definitely there. Like the yes. way restaurants and food entrepreneurs dealt with the pan- with the pandemic and the lockdown, I think was a unique challenge. Absolutely. And so like, just run us through like, what was the thought process like when it started, where you are now with that? Right. Our process honestly was just trying to make everyone safe. So, I mean, being in Motherhood Market, it was a hard, it was a hard place to be because the mark at that time in Tulsa, there were restrictions on how many people could be in a building at one point, regardless of whether you were considered essential or not. And so that impacted just how many people could be in the market. And by the time we would have gotten everybody's employees and our own staff, we would have exceeded that limit. So we had to close for a bit for Kitchen 66. We luckily were able to revamp and open back up with a little more rigid scheduling system than we were using before. But it was, it, it really changed how people thought about their business. So a lot more kind of delivery, uh, really thinking about how can I get this to my customer safely, really pivoting to online and, and really thinking about, okay, how could someone place an order with me on my website or, Anyway, for that. But then it also had a lot of people thinking about whether or not they really wanted to do this and if it was safe for their families. And to be honest, we had a lot of people walk away from their food business because they either had a loved one that was high risk or they, someone in their family was working in the medical field and they really felt like things had to be put on pause to really focus on the well being and the health of that individual in the family unit. And then eventually we ran into so many supply chain issues. We just meeting the industry that some people had to shut down more because of that. I know a lot of our hot sauce companies have had so many issues with getting containers and bottles for everything that it's, it's completely stalled their business. But for every person that faced that trial and, and made that really brave decision and hard decision. I mean, there were plenty of times when I was on the phone with someone crying because they didn't want to stop their food business, but they didn't know what else to do. But for everyone in that boat, there were also folks that really felt like 
for, for whatever reason, whether it was having the privilege of being at home more and really thinking about what was important, realizing that their dream had always been in the food industry and really finding almost like relief in the joy of food and deciding to turn that into their future. So it's, it, it was tough and it was really interesting to see folks really struggling and being really sympathetic with that and trying to do what we could like converting to an all takeout model for our sales channels. But then there was also folks that were like, this is my time. Like I realized I have this passion and I want it to start right now. And I'm just going to think about it until things open back up. But have you taken anything from the pandemic that you think it will maybe be a permanent fixture with kitchen 66? Anything that you've learned? Sure. I think that the delivery aspect from, from just sales, you know, we run the takeover cafe and the landmark food truck and the general store inside mother road market. So I think we actually had two companies, salt and vinegar and curds and whey who are now permanent leaseholders in the market. But when they popped up for the first time to sell Tulsa, their food, they were running all to go and never had met a customer face to face until this year. So I think that has become a really important part that we include, you know, in our education and in the training for these sales channels is think about your customer, not only engaging with you face to face, but now they might see your dish on their phone and be like, Ooh, I want, I want that. So really pivoting to think about how important good food pictures are, descriptions and you know, being able to tap into that as a revenue source. And then also, you know, in the line of just online, again, we switched our business training class to all virtual after they had met twice (laughs) in real life. But I think through that, there were challenges and we are doing the launch class in person, but it really made us realize, man, if we were virtual, we could reach a lot more people with the information that we have. And that is really empowering and really leads us to build a really strong food system, not only in Tulsa, but in this region. So it's, it's led us to look at maybe some partners where we can put that information online. So someone who's in Vanita or who is in Coffeeville, Kansas can have somewhere where they can say, okay, I'm thinking about starting a food business. I wonder, I, instead of spending a lot of money, maybe I'll spend, you know, <laughs> just a couple of dollars on a class and just see if, if this is for me and, and get the practice. Cause we don't, I'm a firm believer in that knowledge should just belong to everyone, especially with the food industry. Cause it's so regulated and there's so much that people just don't know that they mm-hmm. don't know. So it's our job to get that information to them and demystify so much of the industry for them. And I have to say that Curds and Way, at least, I they must have took to your training because their social media, their food pictures are amazing, and the pictures they use on the the online menu ordering system. Well, thanks, I'll tell them you said that. Yeah, which is another thing that I love because then I don't have to feel quite as weird as wanting to get, wanting to get food from three different restaurants at Mother Road because I can right? just do it online. It doesn't feel awkward. That's here and then here and then there. It's glorious. I love being able <laughs> yeah. to do that. So are you concerned that like, the people at the stores are going to see you going to multiple places? Or you feel wait, waiting in line three times? Like, where's the weirdness come you from? You know, I don't like, know. I, it's it just, weird. So, something, like, something inside me feels wrong going to three different restaurants to order food for one meal. Mm. I think it's more of like a societal gotcha. pressure. Gotcha. Okay. Sure. okay. I was just, um, like, cause I understood, but I didn't know why I understood. So I wanted to talk that <laughs> right? one out. Right. <laughs> That's fair. 
Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So in, in that conversation we just had, I was very fascinated by like how you market a restaurant or a, a new food thing without anyone being able to see it or smell right. it or whatnot. And so it's all very visual and descriptive. And so like now, now that people can go back into the mother road market, uh, we can bypass discussion about whether we should be out doing things, but how, like how, how can people now find out like what is coming up for kitchen 66? So if they like see something that is interesting, they can be like, ah, this is going to be there on Wednesday. So I'm going to go then. Yeah. So we always post on social media, a weekly roundup of who all is going to be where. And then at the takeover itself, maybe this was a, a COVID reaction, but we actually have a screen that rotates pictures of everyone's food, which is great because we are right by Andolini's and we have to compete with like <laughs> rows of delicious pizza that's out there. So we always have a TV showing who's going to be there for the week. And then the companies themselves promote a lot too. So if you go one day and you have a favorite, definitely follow them. They post all the time about when they're going to be up there. So on our own social media handles and then at the market itself, screen there at the Takeover Cafe. You should definitely like put up a sign that says faster than <laughs> no matter who's there. Cause that some, I, I don't know why it takes them so long to just heat up a slice, but my God, anyway, uh, come on, you can do better. One thing, just noticing, be, seeing what's often at the, the pop-up kitchen and also just knowing historically that mm -hmm. the food service business is a pathway for a lot of immigrants that, yes. that come to our community. So I'm curious how much of either outreach or education around that is part of the focus of the program. That's a great question. So part of our outreach that we're a little more proactive on and that we actually started this semester, if you will, is that we started offering our launch program curriculum in Spanish. And so we have partnered with UMA Tulsa, which is a nonprofit here in Tulsa, and then Elian Hurtado, who is just a really active community member um, with the Latinx community here in Tulsa, to offer the course in Spanish for anyone who that might be a barrier for them. And we actually just had their graduation last night. Uh, nine companies graduated and are pursuing getting a license. We're actually going to have one of the participants, Gustavo, he's going to pop up next week. December 21st and 22nd, I believe. Awesome. Yes. So he's from Mexico, originally from Guerrera. I think I'm saying that right. Last night he gave me like flautas, like in a broth, like a oh, green chili oh. broth and, and like Sounds had tostadas and it was, oh, it was really so good. good. <laughs> um, how, how many, how many like <laughs> deliveries of and gifts of food do you get like on a weekly basis? So much. And honestly, for our launch program interviews, because we ask folks to bring samples of their oh, food. It's a, it's a brilliant idea. Those weeks I'm eating barbecue like chicken sandwiches at like eight in the morning. It's that without fail, that always, always happens. And I get zero sympathy, which I totally understand because I'll, I'll go back and say, Oh, can someone please eat this cake? I'm so tired of eating. And everyone's like, no, no, no. you don't get to complain about this, um, which they're absolutely right. So the proact for proactivity with really making sure that the food industry remains an opportunity for everyone, particularly immigrants here. There is that, that we've started offering the business training classes in Spanish and hopefully eventually offering it in many other languages. But to be honest, we just kind of naturally get a lot of interest. And I think because 
to be in the takeover cafe, all you have to have is a food handler's permit and a bank account for us to put your money in with how well you do. That's really all you need to get mm-hmm. started and participating in the program. So, I, I mean, we've graduated launch from our launch program. We've graduated folks from 10 different countries since I've been here. And even in this cohort, um, we have a couple first generation immigrants and then one immigrant from Argentina. So I think we we do proactively offer resources for folks that help eliminate barriers that specifically immigrants face. But a lot of it is kind of a natural, it naturally happens because of the nature of the food industry, which is one of my favorite parts of it because it is so approachable for so many folks. Yeah. I think I saw, I'm trying to remember, was it Singapore street food? No. Filipino street food. (gasps) Manila ice. Yes. No, it's a great name. Oh, it's a fantastic name. And he has halo halo, which is that ice dessert. Um, yeah. And it's called the ice ice baby. One of them is. And (laughs) that guy is nailing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. They actually set a record for the most sales in the takeover cafe for one day, a couple weeks ago. I think I was there that day and wild. I ended up, I think I was looking for something really light. So I went, I think I went curds and whey, which it does. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, there was just like a huge crowd over by there and I had to figure out what it was. So even it almost, it was almost its own advertisement, just seeing a huge crowd of people over at the pop-up. Yeah. On His story is really cool. So Anthony Santos and his wife, Melissa are the team behind Manila Ice, and he came to us with this really, I mean, I might cry, but with this really incredible story of of saying, you know, as a Filipino American, I am I am so ready to show my food. I'm I'm so ready to show that Asian food, you know, with air with a million air quotes, really just covers so many variations. And I want to celebrate my culture's food in a really in a really meaningful and authentic way not only for my own community but for everyone in Tulsa and i mean that's how he came into the interview it was literally a question of hey where do you see yourself in a year and he was like breaking down barriers for the filipino people and we were all like oh my god okay did, did he already have the name down he did yeah so he like, came, okay, he came in like name. he came with a package like yeah. he yeah. he got it yes yeah. yes and they just bought a truck oh. so they are they're awesome. they're on the road wheels up ready to ready to rock they got to spend a lot of a uh, lot of money cooling that truck down so because those food trucks get hot yeah. So anyway. Yeah. I, I'm excited about the, the first time we hear about some of our, the new Afghan neighbors when they, yeah, when, when they finding start, some of mm. them going to the program Ooh, and learning yes. about the type of food that they do. Yes. Cause that's one of the things I love about programs like this is it gives you a chance to, uh, experience an, uh, somebody else's culture and what they love about it in a way that is very difficult to do right. in every other walk of life. And in a way that really sticks with you. I mean, in my master's program, we, we, I took classes on food and sensory memory and taste and having memories tied specifically to food and things that you taste is one of the strongest ways that memories can form yeah. in your brain. Taste and smell are like, they lock in memories that you maybe can't even realize that you're, remembering until you're already in it. So yes, it's an absolutely incredible way to experience a new culture, but also one that's really lasting and stays with you for a really long time. Yeah. I just thought of my bread idea, which is like the thing I would like to accomplish in my lifetime, but won't be able to, which is like to try like 
a bread item from every country. It's just like breads of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love bread. Um, just, yeah, around the world bread. Yeah, around the world. Well, because like you were talking about sensory memories and I've been, to, I've been to Israel a couple of times and it's pointed out every time, like every culture has a breaking bread sort of yes. with, with other people sort of aspect to it. And so that when you think about it that way, like food is the, the easiest way to sort of break the ice amongst people. Mm-hmm. Like here, try this delicious thing. And they're like, oh, this is delicious. Like yeah. maybe we're not all that different, mm-hmm. right? Like so, and especially I would say in America at this moment, the one place it's okay, I'd say it's uh, normally always okay to be an immigrant apparently is food related, right? Because you might not be a fan of immigrants, but you still go to Mexican restaurants. So, you know, like food is the weird entrance point for a lot of people to to different kinds of people, whether they know it, know it or not. So mm-hmm. absolutely. So I'm not going to ask you to pick a favorite. I was going to, yeah, I, uh, I know that would be difficult, but can you tell us some of maybe the biggest success stories that have come out of kids? Yeah. Maybe some of the ones that are now graduated and fully formed out there in the world. And then sure. off and then off air, you can tell us your favorite. So. I, oh, don't, that's so hard. Um, <laughs> it's so hard. Um, so I mean K Gusto in downtown oh, Tulsa. They were they were in my in the launch program before my time, but uh really incredible story. Um and the nicest people. I mean, we don't deal with anyone who's not super nice, but really just because the hospitality in the hospitality industry, you just it has to be a part of your blood, I think. So K Gusto is one prime example of someone that's moved into their own uh brick and mortar location. We also, you know, another great uh, success story is six day snacks. So they were part of our spring 2019 class. And I think Elizabeth talked about them while she was, when she was on mm-hmm. the podcast before, but they're a husband and wife team started making salsa to pay for medical bills, paid off the medical bills. And the wife's been cancer free for like five years, I think, which is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then when they they were like okay thanks guys like thanks so so much for your support and people were like i, I still want salsa um <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's great yeah. you're cancer free but I'm i like really your salsa glad that yeah. you fought the cancer but i also really mm-hmm. need more salsa yeah. so they actually moved into their own kitchen facility in 2020 so now they're they're in like 150 retailers they're on amazon so they're a really big consumer package good success story but we also you know manila ice already has a food truck we also have salt and vinegar curds and whey there are five companies in motherhood market that started with kitchen 66 so big dipper Mm -hmm. bodie's bowl curds and whey salt and vinegar and de yolk so all of, all five of those, those guys. Those milkshakes. Those mm. milkshakes from oh, the yolk. It's da- they're dangerous. Kaylee's story is so <laughs> crazy. So she was in our fall 2018 class when we were moving into the market. And she had she was in the program for a company called Made, which is a very healthy meal delivery service. <laughs> wow. Breaks down <laughs> macros for folks. And with the takeover, I know, right? Sorry, sorry. With the takeover opening, she said, you know, I don't eat like this on the week. Like, was like, there's a part of me that I can eat pretty poorly. So why don't I just try a brunch concept? Because there was no, at the time, real, like, brunch mm-hmm. game. And she popped up and came up with all of these insanely delicious 
insanely Instagrammable, but also like <laughs> insanely bad, not bad for you, indulgent. Yeah. Indulgent, indulgent food items. And she won Best Brunch by Tulsa World just by popping up. And I think she was only open for like 15 days, technically. <laughs> I want it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a so, hard right turn. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. But but still, like, that's kind of the beauty of the Takeover Cafe. Like, you have an idea, like, just see what happens and just go mm-hmm. for it. And there you go. So they're all success stories, too. And then just thinking of more recent Lodge grads, we do, we had a restaurant concept in our spring 2021 class, Native, which is NATV, and they are opening their restaurant in Broken Arrow. They should be here pretty soon. They were having some supply chain issues, but they'll be opening very soon in Main Street and Broken Arrow. Nice. Yep. So I, I have a question about salt and vinegar. Exactly. Sure. I, in my mind, I have an idea of what they make, but I would like to hear your description of what they make. Sure. So they kind of do upscale comfort food. So they're taking chicken tenders, right? Which we all had as as children. I yes, as children. Yes, as children. As children. As children. Yes. Hard stop at twelve. I was done with chicken yes, tenders, <laughs> like all of us. Just yep, yeah, just like us. Is this the point where I where I make the joke about how every time we went to no. El Chico's, you would order the chicken tenders? No, okay, this I is won't not make the that time. joke. El Chico chicken tenders. Yeah. This was this was that's in, a Tulsa deep cut. That's yeah. a Tulsa deep cut, and yeah. like like everything at El Chico, they were not great. <laughs> El but Chico burn. Yeah. But not but, yeah. El Chico. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not great. Not bad. Just okay. Yeah. El Chico. <laughs> Will not be a pot for good sponsor, I'm guessing. Uh, anyway. Sorry. So salt and vinegar really <laughs> focuses on taking familiar dishes. I always use the chicken tenders because they are one of my favorite things on the menu. So taking those, they're familiar, and upping the ante a little bit. So they crust theirs in salt and vinegar chips, which they're starting to make in-house now, which just really takes it to another level. And then they serve it with all these sauces. So they've got a chimichurri-style sauce that they use, and they always serve it with a slaw with, like, yicama and green apple. So it's bringing all that acid Really just to punch it up a little yeah, bit. Really good for the heartburn. Mm. Yes. Just for yeah. balance. And the Brussels sprouts. I mean, oh. that's, they came to us with fried Brussels sprouts ideas and I was fully on board, but I think some folks still mm. have scarred memories of having really bad Brussels sprouts and theirs are phenomenal. Brussels sprouts is good as long as you don't just like boil them. Yeah. In right. You got to do something to them. You've yeah. got to jazz them up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they need just, a lot of love. Yeah, well, and like 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 a good salt and vinegar chip. I love to have this discussion with the salt and vinegar people. Like it should almost hurt to eat a salt and vinegar chip. Yeah. Like a really good one. Like yeah, if you mm-hmm. eat too many of them, you feel it on the roof of your yeah, mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. You're like, oh, oh yeah. Like it's 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 a natural. Like I should stop eating these now. So. And then you eat three more. Yeah, yeah. Of course, because yes. we're Americans. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't quit. That's yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Freedom chips. Um. <laughs> Freedom chips. What would you do if you were asked to give up your dreams for freedom? What would you do if asked to make the ultimate oh, I will, I will, I will insert the uh, freedom isn't free uh, Team America drop right there. So, so it, it, what amazes me about everything you've told us is like, not knowing your academic background, I thought just maybe like a nonprofit professional who sort of fell into this food related thing, but you actually had food and 
you had food background. You had food academic background before yes. coming into this. And so I'm just like, I'm just fascinated by like how you feel like your life is going right now. <laughs> like are you live Wow. Are you living the dream? Wow, that is a big question. Yes. I am not prepared to answer. That <laughs> she is not living her dream. All right. No, no, no. Uh, okay. So, I mean, like, so as, as someone who also has an expensive master's degree that they're not sure how they're using, like, sure. How do you feel your time spent learning academically about a topic is working out in your sort of day to day job? So I think it's working out just in the sense that I think specifically with my higher education experience, maybe because it was focused in food, it maybe wasn't as cut and dry and not rigorous in the sense that it wasn't difficult, but the stakes were not as high as maybe if I were in a different program. So I think that experience lent itself, maybe not in the content, but in just being prepared to walk into a room to discuss and be wrong about how I how I feel about what I've read or what I've experienced being ready to look at something whether it's a problem or a challenge that a company is facing in my today world or back then you know looking at an argument that I'm trying to make in a paper and trying to look at every angle of possible solution I think that is something that I have learned and has carried over so in that sense I feel like it is still applicable and I'm still I'm I am doing something that's in line with what I went to school for and, and what my experiences have lent me up to this point. So even though I'm not, you know, on like the history channel cooking ancient recipes, which <laughs> is somewhat someone is doing that right really? now. And I'm I was gonna say, that's, so that's, jealous. That's a real show. Sola El Whaley, awesome. who is a personal hero and also just wow. all around badass. She cooks ancient recipes with the ancient tools and oh my god sources that, the Chris how do you not know what the show sounds amazing you gotta see it you <laughs> okay. gotta check it okay. out but even though I'm not cooking ancient recipes and diving into the evolution of a dish I'm still looking at things from all angles I'm still building arguments and building you know reasons and, and thought processes in my head and still really coming at every challenge with patience with myself and others helping me to find the right solution and not the quick solution. That's good. Good answer. I know it is a good answer. I, oh, thanks. Well, I'm as somebody who has what most people would call a practical degree and I'm working in the industry that it should apply. I would say the content of what I learned, I, st I rarely use day to day. Yeah. Right. I feel like, I think, I think, I feel I think like it's true like, everywhere, but I, I feel like, you know, it's a little overrated to say, oh, people should get this kind of degree or that kind of degree. It's more similar to your experience. It's more of what I learned on things like how to learn, how to grow, mm -hmm. how to do things, how to think about problems rather than, you know, specific accounting rules yeah. or things like that. Well, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, a great history teacher doesn't necessarily need a PhD in that history to be able to teach it to other people. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but we all think that's what you need to do the thing, but it's good to have like both background knowledge, but also the understanding of how to learn something and how to right. understand new information. Yeah. Anyway. So while, while we have you trapped, I want to pitch my uh, idea that I always wanted to do as a restaurant. Please. Okay. And the funny thing is, is, uh, it's sort of 
Not similar exactly, but kind of like the story you were talking about with the yolk. Okay. Uh So my concept was always a restaurant. It would be sort of something along the lines of sinners and saints or something like that. Right. Okay. Because Jesse knows this and some of our listeners will. I've had a a long history of weight fluctuation depending on the particular year, the particular day. Sure. So I've learned how to cook very low calorie dishes and make them tasty and make uh, an incredibly indulgent version of those same recipes. So my idea was always you have a saint side and a sinner side or an angel side and a devil side of the same dish. To where you could either go with a mm. healthy version of, say, chicken fingers that maybe would be, you know, air fried and they would be using chicken breast or the center version, which would be using chicken thigh and deep fried in, you know, Tell beer batter just... or something like that. Right. So you'd have have those kind of options all the way through. So you sure. could have somebody who wants a healthy option, somebody who wants an unhealthy or somebody who just is feeling chaotic. And once a healthy salad and a giant milkshake, you know, that yeah, sort of thing. Just someone unstable that yeah. wants all of it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Someone who halfway through is like, well, I've earned the the bad thing now because I'm having the low calorie. Exactly. Ooh, there true. you go. Yeah. Really, really it's, thinking about the yeah, full journey. It, like it's again, the large Diet Coke when you get the, you know, the the Big Mac. Yeah. That is 100% fries. my move at Taco yeah, Bueno, by absolutely. the way. Yeah. It's can I have this outrageous amount of food and a Diet Coke? Yeah. To, so. Yeah. So if I come at you with this crazy idea and you're going through the normal application process. Yeah. So what, what do you say back to me after I've thrown this yeah. crazy critique is application <laughs> where I've done no market research to see if there's any market out there for this kind of a restaurant. By the way, so I love I, listeners. I've never heard this idea before and I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's a great idea. Anyway, continue. So I, I will say you're getting an, You're getting an interview. First, first and foremost, I don't think. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you're like a like a hard no, right? Like <laughs> okay. you're not okay. a hard pass. So I think you're getting an interview okay. for okay. sure because I think the the duality of it is is nice. You're covering a lot of a lot of customer bases, right? So like the classic kind of couple, maybe one person is watching what they eat and one person isn't. You're not putting them in that debacle. I will say logistically. You're probably buying twice as much mm. inventory yeah. That's a good point. than another restaurant, like than mm. anyone else. And so, one thing that we talk about is trying to repurpose so much of what you're buying. And if mm. you have that fine line on your menu, you are cutting off that as a as a method you could use to cut down on food costs. Mm. So there, you do yeah. have that element that you'd have yeah. to think through. Well, I would say like your menu at least starting off couldn't be too, too many items, right? right. You'd want to start with like yes. four each or something so that you, you know, didn't have to buy that many things or keeping it like doing like chicken, like things that can be easily reused sure. um, or finding ways to mm-hmm. make the healthy thing and yeah. the unhealthy thing, share ingredients, right. But just have more of one thing in the other. Yeah. Right. Hmm. You could do like one menu up to a certain point And then like at night, like at a certain time, oh. Go switch. Yeah, switch and then only do delivery for that option. So then folks because no one's ordering healthy chicken fingers at like one AM. That's nope. a good point. So there you could make up for some of that revenue maybe that way. Uh as someone who else lived in Boston, I think you'll appreciate this. Did you ever yes. eat it at Be Good? It was like the healthy yes. burger place. Like I love that place. I like, love that 
place. Yeah, they they like I, the air fryer baked their French fries. Like the the burgers were all like locally sourced. It was great. Yes. And like Tulsa needs something like that because I love burgers and I hate, I feel bad every time I have one. Uh, <laughs> and, and mostly it's the French fries that make you feel bad. Mm. So like. Baking right. them, you're like, you don't feel as bad. Like, I'm calorie wise, it's probably the exact same. And interestingly, instead, you took me to the place where they give you an entire tray of French yep. fries with your burger instead. Ooh. Yes, I did. So, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, Wait, where did you go? Where, where, that where we go? I, I, I don't know. It's some place where they have the, like the food contest thing. I think they might even have been on Man versus Food where oh. you get. The- oh, yeah. It was in Cleveland Circle. There was a place where like oh. you could eat the, like, it was like a. I don't know, 10 pound burger and they'd put your picture on the wall or whatever. Oh. Uh, you also had to eat an entire sheet pan of fries. And we just like, we just got the sheet pan because the fries are delicious. But mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. No, listen, Boston, weirdly one of the world's healthiest cities, but also if you didn't want to be healthy, that was also super easy. So, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, is yeah. it the walking and the, and the running? It, Boston's uh, such it's a the walking. running town. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was getting 10,000 stuff just going to and from work. So, yeah. which I do not obviously get here because I work in my house, but uh, I'm not getting a walking around my house. So, all right. So if somebody, if we have a listener out there that this sparks them and they want to live their food dream. So what is their first step? Their first step is to go to our website, kitchen66tulsa.com. We have different applications for different parts of our program. So if you know you want to get in that commercial kitchen, start jarring pasta sauce or making hot sauce, go to that application. If you want the educational aspect of it and the and the class applications for that round, we've already we're about to graduate our fall class. So the spring class applications will open in January for that one. And then if you're interested in popping up in Mother Road Market through one of our channels, you can go also to our website, but to the Takeover Cafe page and show us your menu. Tell us what you what you want to plan on doing, and we will take it from there. I feel like is your graduation ceremony just like a big buffet that everyone gets to try delicious foods? You know it is. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love it. How do we get invited to sit? <laughs> yeah. It's free. <gasps> it's free okay. and open to the public. What? Um, All right. This won't air in time, but it is tomorrow. Well, from five to seven, well, Chris just for go. you guys. Yeah. yeah. Should we go before a boxing class or after a boxing class? <laughs> I guess before, before we wrap up two things, one, other than all the applications that you just mentioned, is there anything else you would like to pitch plug to our listeners that are coming up either at the end of December, January, February, future months, <laughs> the rest of the March. year, March, April, April, April May, April, June, April. July, um, not August. August I can don't think fuck off. so. I feel like I did. Yeah, August can go fuck itself. So yeah, August um, is the worst. <laughs> there's no holidays. Like it's yeah, it's terrible. It's just yeah, it's, hot. it's hot, and gross. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, move to Tulsa. Anyway, because <laughs> of August. Because of August. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Just close your eyes. All of August. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I think we've covered a lot. What about how uh, people yeah. can connect with Kitchen Sixty Six, even if they're just fans and want to know about what. So what social media do you have? How can they yeah, connect all that? We have a Facebook page, Instagram. That's how, that's where we update and that's where we share the most about what's going on with the program. No, no so. food TikTok yet? That's, no, I feel like no that's TikTok yet. I feel like food videos can go, can go poorly. I so. feel like I have the wrong personality for that. I, just I think we all do. don't <laughs> think it's going to, yeah, I, I just don't think I, I don't know. When I first started with Kitchen 66, we filled the, we filmed a, like a promotional video to just be on the website. And after one take, 
which I had to stand on like a cooler to be in the frame. I'm so short. Um, after one take of like one line each of me and my boss, the guy filming it came over and said, okay, I need a little more working professional from you and not game show contestant. And I was like, great, great note. I, I will take that. That, that, that it honestly is a great note. It is a great note. I, I, I'm not I can even kind of tell exactly what, uh, yeah. what he, what he was seeing versus yeah. what was actually happening. Yeah. Exactly. So. Exactly. So I, so for no that TikToks. reason, okay. no TikTok. Yeah. Listen, food TikToks can just be looking at food. I'm just That's saying, true. like watching people make food. That's true. So I really like the TikToks where they're really bad recipes and people know it. Fun. And it's like parodies of like Midwestern moms putting everything in a casserole. Yep. And it's mm-hmm. just like. So just nailed it, TikTok, I guess. Kind of. Kind, right. of, kind yeah. of. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Listen, that show that show made me feel normal. Like, all right, this is what people can. This is what normal people do. Yeah, yeah. They, they do their best and fail. Right, um, for sure. But yes, okay. we are on Facebook and Instagram, Kitchen Sixty Six Tulsa, and then also on Motherhood Market. We get a lot of shares. You know, you can find out just as much about Kitchen Sixty Six through uh, the Motherhood Market mm-hmm. Instagram and Facebook pages as well. Rachel, thank you. Yeah, thank you <laughs> thank guys you very much. Thank you all for listening to our episode with Rachel and Kitchen 66. It's a wonderful program. If you haven't somehow ever gone to Mother Road Market, go check out the Kitchen 66 space and follow them. They're on all the social medias. And if you are interested in starting your own restaurant or food truck or whatever, you should check out applying for that program. It is a great program and a delight to have here in Tulsa. Uh, As per usual, all of my normal Michigas, like please subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on social media, etc. Um, this is our last episode of 2021, somehow. So hopefully, 2022 is better. Uh, but it won't be until Broken Arrow, get your shit together. Tulsa, get it done. And please get vaccinated, wear a mask, get the shots, all the things, please. Dear God, I'm tired of this. Bye.